Good evening, everybody, and welcome to episode 124 of the Ask the Coach Show, where Ping Skills answers your table tennis questions. It's Wednesday, so we'll be discussing the drill of the week. In the questions, we talk about the staff position for the backhand counter hit, hitting a ceiling in terms of improvement, placement during rallies, mid-distance top spinning, and what brothers are good for chopping. I'm Jeff Plum. And as always, Supercoach Alloys Rivera is here with me to answer your questions. Welcome, Alloys. Thank you, Jeffrey, and uh, good to be here again tonight. Cold night in Melbourne tonight. I mean, not cold by European standards, but uh, down to 12 degrees Celsius, I think, was our maximum uh, today. And I was just driving back from uh, Ballarat, which is known to be reasonably cold, and I think the temperature gauge hit uh, five at one stage. So, yeah. Getting down to freezing. That's right. Ballarat is known to be cold. I remember we filmed some stuff there once, Alois, and um, I think even in the video you said we're filming from cold Ballarat. <laughs> That's right. It was. Yes, yes. Yes, we've done quite a few of our videos from Ballarat. Uh, so, yeah, nice, beautiful centre up there. But, uh, yeah, the city of Ballarat, always nice and cold. And I was talking to... Um, one of the one of the players, and he said he really likes Ballarat because it reminds him of the Polish uh, settings. So there you go. Oh, interesting, interesting. Well, um, I saw Alois. You posted something on the Ping Skills Facebook page about this new coaching rule. Yeah, so um, it, it was. Um, it's interesting. They've uh, the ITTF Athletes Commission have uh, put out put up a bit of a statement about it. And, you know, just trying to explain it uh, from their side. So they supported uh, supported the rule um, and, and said that the rule starts after 2016 Olympics in Paris um, and each national association, they're saying, will have the ability to, to have its own rule for, for their own national competition. So, so this rule's been brought in uh, for international uh, competitions. Um, they said that it was tested in the German League uh, for the last two years and it seemed to have gone well. The umpires committee also heavily supported the rule. So from the umpires' point of view, they're just saying that it's just easier because at the moment um, there's a lot of, uh, of coaches that are that are getting away with, uh, with coaching, you know, with signals or speaking in a different language. Um, so now this is just trying to even up the playing field. Um, but it, the the main thing with the rule, though, that they're really stressing is that it, the coaching isn't allowed to interfere with the points and the um, and the ongoing nature of the of the of the game. So they ca- you can't you know stop the game or um, to to do any coaching. So the, the play has to be continuous. So basically it's just the coach on the sideline, you know, yelling out instructions um, every now and then um, to their player, you know, um, serve it to the backhand or, you know, or or they might have they might have to develop some codes, I would say, because if you um, if you yell out serve it to the backhand, then uh, your opponent's also going to know what's going on. So yeah, so that's that's it. Uh, that's it from um, from the athletes commission uh, point of view. So they did actually support um, the rule going through. So that's the the ITTF um, athletes commission, which is made up of um, of players of a few different levels. So yeah, so, so that's. That's interesting. Having heard about that, Alois, that there's 
but it can't be used like for a mini timeout and that it makes it easier for the umpires who don't have to worry about learning all those different languages so they have to police it. What do you think about that rule now? Yeah, I, 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 it, 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 start, it makes more sense and I, I like the reasoning. Um, but I think the basic thing, though, of just letting two players play um, a match between each other, um, I think you know, that still is broken down and it's probably broken down to a greater degree when you've got the coaches uh, yelling out. The other thing that they, um, that they said in this statement was they wanted to also enhance the... Um, the atmosphere, coaches getting involved and um, getting more animated and that sort of thing, um, just to enhance the atmosphere of uh, of the match as well. Yeah, I mean, if, if it's if it's theatre that you're looking for, maybe then that, that's uh, that will um, increase the theatre. But I still, you know, if you, if we're just talking about contest between players, then I think this it. Um, it goes against that basic premise. Yeah, well, the other idea is that you could just remove the coaches altogether, have no one sitting in their corner, and the coaches have to sit up in the stands with everybody else and, and no coaching between games. I mean, that's another alternative. Yeah, so which is, which is the way that um, international tennis basically is. But you also see there that the, the coaches do get a few signals happening and... Uh, and a few messages through to the players anyway, don't they? But, um, yeah, it's, yeah. it's all it, it's just an interesting question. Indeed. All right. Well, um, if you've got any thoughts, uh, leave a comment and let us know um, how you feel about it. All right, Alois, let's move on to yesterday's Ping Skillers question of the day, which was, um, yeah, who is your favourite training partner? Well, there's only one answer to that, isn't there? It has to be you, Jeff. <laughs> oh, thank you. Oh, I thought it would have to be you. <laughs> Excellent. So we've got a few responses. Yeah, yeah, so, um, yeah so for me, it, it wasn't always about the quality of the player. It was more about um, their attitude and their ability or willingness to, to train, I think think that made the difference um and also you know just having having a situation where you could just um practice um something um really uh, solidly or or you know with, with with good concentration and focus i think that that was the main thing um so the level didn't really matter you know so i often enjoyed practicing with players that were a lower level um because it would it allowed me to um to practice more of my attacking type of strokes as well, um, and and sometimes it's good just to to win a lot of points in practice too. So you know we often we often hear players only wanting to practice with players that are better than them. I think that's that's really wrong. I think you know it, it's important to practice with both players that are better than you and weaker than you. And in fact, I tend to enjoy practicing with with players my, my same level or lower than me because I feel like I get a lot more out of the, the, the training session. Ah, now I see why you like to practice with me. Mm, interesting. Ah, ah. <laughs> made the link. <laughs> <laughs> Good one. All right, let's move on to the Pink Skillers question of the day, which is, what is the best match you have ever played? Jump onto our website, pinkskillers.com, and 
let us know what is the best match you have ever played. All right, Alois. Um, it is episode 124. And oh, really? Oh, great. 124 is the sum of eight consecutive primes, Alois. 5, 7, 11, 13, 17, 19, 23, and 29. That's brilliant, isn't it? That is brilliant. That's just, that's, yeah, that, that's really fantastic, Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. All right. Um, it is Wednesday, which means it's we're going to talk about. Oh, sorry. Is it, is it also a power of two? Uh, no. 128 to power of two. Oh, I was close. No, getting close. <laughs> oh, in, in, in another four episodes, I can use that one. You can, exactly. It is an untouchable number since there is no integer whose proper divisors add up to 124, if you really must know. But anyway, Alice, let's talk about the drill of the week. That'll get you excited. Yes. It, yes. Now, now I'm awake. Go. What is it? Falkenberg. Falkenberg, yes. Good drill. Good drill. So um, Falkenberg, it, named after a Swedish town and where there's a, there was a good uh, training centre there and they used to like this drill. So the Falkenberg drill is um, where you do um, a backhand from the backhand side, then you pivot around and do a forehand from the backhand side and then the next ball goes over to your forehand corner and you do a forehand from over there. So it's backhand. Forehand, forehand. So especially um, a while ago, this was a really popular drill because a lot of players' forehands were a lot stronger than their backhand side. So it was important to be able to spin around and get your get your forehand in on your backhand corner if the other person was pinning you down on the backhand side. So that was um, that's that's what made this drill really popular. Um, with a lot of training. Um, now, interesting, you know, like I, I think it's a really good drill to, to do um, for players to practice because it gets you moving and it gets you to utilise your forehand, which is um, generally a bit stronger, but maybe not as important as, as it used to be because now players are developing their backhands so much and their backhands are so strong as well. But, but still, it's good to be able to practice pivoting around playing that forehand from the backhand corner around here. And then the natural next ball is for the ball to go wide to your forehand, so practising that movement as well. So, yeah, I like, I like the drill, and it's a drill that you should try to, um, to practise and incorporate. And it's a drill that you'll find in our uh, training drills free download as well. Indeed, yeah. No, good points, Alois. And I, I remember, yeah, in the late 1980s, Alois, um, watching some table tennis, high international table tennis, and just as you talked about, a lot of the rallies kind of, they ended up going backhand to backhand, and whoever could sort of pivot first and get that strong attack really seemed to have an advantage. So it used to be really important. But even though, like you said, people now developing the backhand, it's still good because it does teach you good footwork and... If you watch the Chinese, they still do play a lot of forehands and, you know, they're able to cover so much of the table with their forehand. So this drill will help with that. And the other thing is that if you watch in that point of the century in the final of the World Table Tennis Championships, um, Ma Long sort of gets pinned down a little bit on the backhand but manages to switch around and play a forehand topspin and get himself back into the rally even though he does eventually lose the point. 
with some great forehand top spinning from uh, Bang Bo. But yeah, great drill. Try it out. And um, yeah, it's sure to help your footwork improve. And as Aloy said, we've got a free download. We also have in, as part of our premium membership, a training secrets course. And in there, we go through drills that are going to help you improve your game. And the Falkenberg is one of them. And we demonstrate how to use it and why it's helpful. And for all the drills in that training sequence, we do that. We show you how to do it and why it's helpful. So I think if you know why you're doing something, it's easier to focus on it and concentrate and really do well with it. So if you're wanting to improve your game, check out the premium membership at pingskills.com. All right, Alois, time to move on to the questions. Dita has jumped on and asked a question from our Google Plus page and... Some people don't know how to do this. It is a little bit confusing, but if you go to plus.google.com slash pluspingskills, there you can find um, our shows and there'll be a little Q&A button that you can click on. And once you do that, you can ask us a question live on the show like Dita has. And Dita said, I watched the semi-final between Ma Long and Fan Zendong. During the warm-up, I noticed that in Fan's starting position for the backhand counter hit, his hand is below the elbow. My coach says the elbow should be below the hand, and that's what Ma Long was doing. So who is right? Yeah, so um, when, when you're blocking, or it, it depends on the type of stroke you, you, you're playing. So if you're purely blocking, then that's okay to have your, your bat up a little bit higher than your elbow. The only problem is that that is then limiting. So it's hard from that position to do very much because your bat's already halfway through your um, your counter hit top stroke. So what um, Fan Zendong was doing was starting a little bit lower and he's blocking like that. So um, it just allows you a greater scope of strokes that you can play from that position if your bat's a little bit lower. So... So that's just what Fan Zendong was doing, whereas Ma Long might have been just just blocking and thinking about um, just blocking and controlling that ball. So then it's good to get your bat up a little bit higher because the the when when they topspin or attack at you, the ball is going to bounce up that high, and you've already got the bat in that position. You can come straight through um, on that. Yeah, I guess you'd have to be a, quite a brave man to say that either Ma Long or Fan Zendong was wrong in anything that they did, Alois. But I think, I, have, I haven't actually seen that warm-up, but it sounds like um, Fan Zendong was doing almost a little bit more of a counter-attack or just slightly bigger stroke, maybe even so he could get some top spin on the ball. Would that be right? Yeah, or? I'd say so. Yeah, I'd say so. Um, I, again, I haven't I haven't really paid attention to the warm up, so it's uh, it's uh, something that I'll go back and have a little bit of a look at. But um, yeah, it'll just be different different levels of the stroke. So they're just diff- slightly different types of strokes. That's all. Indeed, and good work, uh, Dita, for firstly watching all the matches and the semi final, and also for picking up those things. That's why it's good to watch these players. You pick up little things, and you can experiment with your own game. And it's really helpful to watch the top players play. So good work, Dita. The next question is from Michelle, who says, I've been practicing table tennis for about five years now, and I've started to notice that my game has not improved too much lately. 
The question I have is, does everyone have a limitation? Even with lots of training, some people seem to hit a ceiling. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Uh, I think everyone's got a ceiling. Um, and based on, you know, your age, how long you've been playing, um, you know, when you started, when you started to learn some of those skills, um, and also just just your your, your basic experiences from when you were young and 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 what you what you've developed so yeah i think everyone's got, got that ceiling um you know it, it's the it's the question of nature versus nurture um you know how much is inbuilt um in in a player and how much is purely on training you know i think for me i think a lot of it is about your training um but there I just feel that there is a little bit of nature in it as well. Um, yeah, I, I think I think you've got to be you've got to have some some good genes um, and have and also have you know great experiences when you when you're very young and, and get that sort of backing behind you. Yeah, what do you think, Jeff? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I loved reading the ten thousand hour rule books. You know, Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell, um, The Talent Code by Daniel Coyle. Um, really good books about how, you know, talent is made, not born. And it's great, you know, to read that and see, you know, all the top players seem to, you know, have that 10,000 hours. But there's still something that separates people. And even when you see kids playing to start with, you can see some people straight away are more talented with less training. So I like the idea of the 10,000 hours, and I think that's probably true. You do need to put a lot of time in to get there, but I I think some people are going to struggle even if they do put 10,000 hours in. Um, And also I think it's probably easier to learn when you're younger still too. Like from 8 to 18, it's probably easier than from, you know, 38 to 48. Yeah, true. But like when when, when you see those kids at, the young age, um, the the experience they've already had does also come into account, doesn't it? I mean, if we see the kid at 10 years old, both, I mean, the 10-year-old kids have had different experiences, you know, like one 10-year-old might have been out playing a lot outside and, you know, have developed a lot of coordination, whereas another 10-year-old may not have, do you think? Yeah, I think that's true. But the counter-argument to that is that the kid that has, you know, done a lot more sport and is more coordinated has done that because they're interested in it, whereas the other kids kind of tried it a bit but didn't find they were that good, so they didn't really pursue it. And it's probably not an interest, so they're probably never going to get that interest. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, it's an argument that I think will never, ever be really um, uh, answered, but... But yeah, I mean, as far as a ceiling, I, th- I think everyone's got a ceiling, um, and and I, and I don't think the ceiling is the same uh, for everyone. So I think you know, some some have higher ceilings than others, definitely. Yeah, and I think also it's easier to improve from a low level to a you know reasonably good level, but then from to get to good to better, and then from better to better, and then to be you know like Ma Long. Each little step up that ladder gets harder and harder and harder. Yes, yeah. the the curve The curve or, or the line certainly isn't straight, is it? The, the progression line. Yes, I think you know you tend to improve quite quickly to start off with, but then to get those last little bits, um, 
it does take a long time. And and you know we we often we often see uh, you know young players you know being touted as wow look how fantastic they are and you know in two years time they're going to be better than you know the other best players in the world. But that that extra little bit takes a long time. We, we see it we see it with fans in Dong. Um, you know he's been knocking on the door for a few years now, but still came up against um, uh, was it Zhang Ziqiu in the in the quarters Marlong uh, semi Marlong Ma 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 yeah Ma and you know Marlong just absolutely yeah. obliterated him really so Indeed. yeah there's so there's still a gap yeah so most people have limits alloys but not Bruce Lee he says if you always put limits on everything you do physical or anything else it will spread into your work and into your life there are no limits there are only plateaus and you must not stay there. You must go beyond them. Well, let's not argue with Bruce Lee. <laughs> Indeed. So it's interesting, going back to Michelle's question, you know, he said he's practised for about five years now and he's kind of reached a plateau and he's not improving much. So even though I think people have ceilings, you know, like maybe you're not ever going to be, be my long standard, but I still think there's always you know, things you can work on and things you can improve, you know. Um, you know, maybe you just need a different focus. Maybe you start focusing on your serve a bit more. Or if you have been focusing on your serve lately, maybe focus on your third ball. I think, you know, just changing your attitude a bit and, you know, you know, really focusing on a certain part of your game, there's, there's always room for improvement. So I don't think if there's a limit to becoming, you know, the best, but I still think you can keep improving gradually. Yeah, definitely, definitely. There are always little improvements that you can make. Yes, so certainly, like if if you're looking, if you've um, you know a forty year old uh, player that's been playing for two years, I mean, realistically, you're, you're silly if you think you're going to um, get to Ma Long's level ever. You know, I mean, you could you could pra- you could quit work, you could dedicate your whole life to table tennis, train eight hours a day, ten hours a day, and it. Just, just can't happen, you know. So, but as Jeff says, just there, there are improvements that you can make in your game. So, you know, and as Bruce Lee said, you know, don't, don't be happy with where you are. Think about just improving a little bit. So, there are, there are always things to, to think about. So, yeah, good advice there, Jeff and Mr. Lee. <laughs> Indeed. All right. Well, thanks for the question, Michelle. So, yeah. Take a look at your game. See if you can find an area that you haven't focused a lot on and, you know, really hone in on that area and see if it just, you know, refreshes your enthusiasm and gives you a more of a focus for your training. And maybe you'll find you'll just move on to another level and, you know, start improving again. I, I think that also happens a lot. People sort of plateau and then suddenly something happens and then they start to improve a lot again. So, you know, some really strong improvement could be just around the corner for you. So keep going, Michelle. All right, let's move on to a question from Alan, who says, I am a decent attacking player, but I feel I am even better at hard bat as a defender. My skills as a tennis player help me in the chop department. I think I should try and defend on my backhand and still attack on my forehand but I need some advice on rubber. So do you have any advice for Alan on rubber choice for backhand chopping alloys? 
Yeah, I think I think for backhand chopping, long pimples is a is a good option. And when you've got that base of you know the tennis player, the chipping and um, and the slicing, I think the the long pimples um, can be quite good um, for you there. The other option is to just get a really um, thin sponged rubber, um, something with a lot of control, and and chop with that as well. So yeah, a couple of options for you, but but I think the long pimples. Um, will help you as you get up the levels a bit to be able to control the faster balls. It takes away a bit of the speed and, and dampens the speed as well. So, yeah, I, I would say go with the long pimples to start off with um, and then just keep working on your forehand um, attacking as you do. So, yeah, go for it. Excellent. Yeah, that sounds like a good idea, especially as he likes to chop with, you know, a hard bat. So, yeah, I think, I think the long pimples too, Alice. Good advice. All right. Now... Dakota was watching Samsonov and noticed that if he had the chance for an open court shot, he would often hit it back towards where the player was instead of going to the open court. Do most players implement this strategy or is the open court better? Ah, yeah. So so he, what we're talking about here is if, um, if, I, if I'm playing against you and I go around and I make the pivot here, the natural next ball, as we talked about before, is to hit, hit the next ball wide into my forehand area because there's more court area there. Um, so what we're talking about here is that Samsonov was playing a lot of balls back into the backhand side. So, so often players will um, charge over to that to cover that big area and leave that little gap um, empty. So, so when you play down the line to them again, then they tend to make that mistake because they're going in the wrong direction and heading in the wrong direction. Samsonov's the master of being able to place the ball well, though, isn't he? I mean, his his control is so fantastic; he can just yeah you know, control the ball to anywhere, and he and he also sees um, things really well. So he sees um, a player moving, and, and in that situation, he he'll then be able to change direction, and instead of going to that. Um, to the big area where the player's already charging towards, he'll change direction and play down the other way. It's a little bit like wrong footing, wrong footing your your opponent. So yeah, it's a good tactic to use. Um, some players use it more than others. Some players like um, using it more than others. Some players um, have the ability to see those um, little gaps and the players um, moving in the wrong direction as well. So yeah. Yeah, and I guess it also probably comes down to tactics a little bit. If he's if he's playing like one of the Chinese, he's got incredible footwork and an incredible forehand, he might think that even if he goes to the open court, they're going to be able to get there and make one of their incredible counter-top spins, and he might feel safer playing to the backhand. So I guess for, you know, for the ping scholars that are watching and, and wanting to know where's the best place to go, it's not really a one answer fits everything, is it? You just really need to think about who you're playing, you know, and, yeah, how good their footwork is, you know, whether you think you can hit a winner or whether you can play back to their weaker side. There's a lot of things to, to think about in a decision like that. Yeah, I think that's a really good point about how well they move. So, you know, if, you, if, if you're playing against a player that moves really well, um, then, yeah, even if you play it wide out to their forehand into their into their open area, they're going to get there easily and be able to make a strong shot. So, yeah, great, great advice there, Jeff. Excellent. All right. Well, thanks again for another interesting question, Dakota. And, again, good to see you watching the top players. Um, everyone should uh, 
jump onto the ITTF site and have a look at some um, top games. It's uh, really interesting and helpful for your own game. Next question is from Romeo, who says, do you recommend top spinning mid-distance? And if not, is there a reason why? Yeah, I mean, top spinning mid-distance is, is fine. So what, what, what Romeo's talking about there is, Instead of being really close up to the table and top spinning from here, just taking half a step back or a step back away from the table and playing top spins from there. So each player will feel more comfortable um, a different distance from the table. You know, some people feel really comfortable um, being up close. Some people feel more comfortable being away. You just need to find your distance to start off with. Um, and if you if you do feel more comfortable a little bit further away, that's fine. And just being able to play top spins from there um, is good. So in that situation, you're probably not going to think about necessarily or, or always blasting through the other player and playing um, strong shots all the time. Um, you can think a little bit more about the variation. So you've got a bit more time. You can spin the ball sometimes, sometimes play faster, um, and that variation uh, will uh, win you a lot of points as well. So rather than thinking about just just hitting the ball faster and trying to blast through your uh, your opponent. Yeah, and I guess that's the beauty of table tennis, Alice, is that there is still variation in the game. You know, some people will play top spins from very close to the table, some people further back. Then we've got choppers, defenders, blockers. Um, it really does make the game interesting. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, there's, there's not one game that it, that is it, you know. So, yeah, if you like playing mid-distance, then give it a go, and, and playing with spin from there can be great. Yeah. So, all right. So some of the advantages from mid-distance is you've got a little bit more time and you can do some more variations with your top spinning. Um, I guess some of the disadvantages are that your opponent also gets more time and if they're close to the table, maybe they can cut down your time a little bit. So just, just different things to consider. Yeah, and the, the, other, the other thing to think about is the, the further away from the table you get, the bigger distance you have to cover. So if you're up close to the table, you've got the, the table width, but as you go further away from the table, then you've got a bigger bigger and bigger distance to cover. So, yeah, so think about that. So if you are playing mid-distance, you also need good um, lateral movement to be able to cover that bigger or wider area. Yeah, excellent point. Great. Thanks for the question, Romeo. So that wraps up episode 124. If you haven't yet, go to pingskills.com and sign up for our free newsletter. We've got great table tennis tips that we send out weekly. So sign up for that free newsletter and let us help you improve. And thank you, everybody, for watching or listening to the show on the podcast. So, and if you didn't know, this show is also available as an audio podcast and you can find out how to subscribe to the audio podcast by also visiting pingseals.com and clicking on the blog link. Um, but, yeah, thank you, everybody, for watching and supporting the show and thank you, Alloys. Thank, thank you, Jeff, and, yeah, thanks, Pingskillers. We'll see you again. Now, we're um, away for a few days. We won't have the show until next Monday night, Australian yeah. time. So, yep, so... So tune in then. Indeed. Yes, good point, Alice. Yeah, tune in Monday and we will catch you all then. So have a good uh, weekend, everybody, and catch you all Monday. Bye. Bye.